It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! There's the audience. Woohoo! This week's starring special guest star, Miss Brooke Ferry! fake band you guys were spectacular today thank you fake audience hello brooke hello michael <laughs> nice to see you should i tell them the big news you're thinking what's the big news I mean, what's the big news brooke is now officially the director see if i can get the title right the director of writer artist relations at taxi we are so thrilled to have her here um she has worked in all kinds of great capacities <coughs> over the years, um, mostly screening at Taxi, and has done a spectacularly good job of that. Like, I don't want to make any other screeners feel bad, but she might be the best screener we've ever had. <laughs> Certainly the most popular. Um, anyway, so uh, I figured, wow, what a great time to have her on the show for a couple of reasons. Number one, I was inspired by last week's episode with Henry Winkle when he had us play his th songs and we had to guess why the screener returned them. And, and not so jokingly, but you know, I said something like, uh, oh, we should do an episode like that. And I thought, well, this would be challenging for Brooke and, and for me as well to hear stuff and try and guess why the screener didn't forward it. But we're going to have you guys guess first. Um, so we're going to get to that in a half an hour. But first, my wife came to me the other day and said that she had gotten an email from a taxi member who was offered a deal by one of the publishing companies, a music library uh, that we had forwarded his music to. And he said, but I don't want to do it any deals where I have to give up my master, even though the listing actually said it was an exclusive deal. Um, this happens a lot. I get calls from uh, music library owners saying that uh, somebody called them up. That was, they offered somebody a deal, a taxi member deal, and then they don't want the deal because it's exclusive, even though the listing said exclusive, exclusive. So read the listings. But for this gentleman, and my wife cannot remember your name now, so I hope you're watching the show, um, Brooke and I are going to do the first half hour of the show about music publishing in general, explaining how it works, as Brooke calls it, Music Publishing 101, which I'm gonna have her do in a second. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about the variations of that as it relates to the music library world, both in the exclusive and non-exclusive deal realms. So without any further ado, okay. would you? Oh, let me get the microphone. Oh, sure. There we go. Am I too far away? Sound. No, I don't know, but. I have reverb. Um, so a lot of things that um, I've worked in situations in publishing, both from um, an exclusive standpoint and a non-exclusive standpoint. And you're going to hear people say that one is better than the other. And then you're going to hear people say that the other one is better than the other. It depends who you're talking it to, It depends right? <laughs> on who you're talking to. And I think ultimately it de depends on the situation and it's going to depend on it's going to depend on you ultimately what you how prolific you are what your goals are um those two things primarily it's also going to depend on sort of where you start michael and i were talking earlier about if you have a whole bunch of instrumental cues do you hold off on putting those in an exclusive company or do you go the other way around and um 
I've often told people, if you're super prolific and you have a bunch of stuff, why not sign them to an exclusive company? Because you can make more, obviously not exactly the same, different, but you can make more in the same style. He said, well, what happened? Why not get those into a non-exclusive company where you're going to get like lots of um, like blanket, blanket, blanket licenses? Which means they give a bucket of music to a show or a production company or a network and say, use all you want for five grand a year, 10 grand a year. And then hopefully they prorate out the the that money to the writers who get used. Yeah, Hopefully. and then you can fill in the gaps with other stuff in an exclusive company. Um, I think that, that honestly, that does make a lot of sense. I think um, if you are getting started, the, <laughs> I mean, I hope this doesn't sound like crass, but the best thing to go with is what you get offered. Um, <sighs> because that gives you a, uh, kind of a springboard yeah. to say to other libraries, oh, I've got to deal with X, Y, Z. Oh, therefore the assumption is you're good enough for them, you're probably good enough for me. Exactly, you know, um, if you are, re I mean, I'm not going to tell you don't be particular and don't do your and do your homework. You know, before you sign something exclusively, check that company. Make sure that they do the kind of stuff that they're signing for you. If this, right. if you check into this company and you see that all they do is hip hop and they're signing one of your pop tracks exclusively that might not be a good place for you to be or, or even worse uh if they do a lot of hip-hop or edm kind of like au courant uh, whatever's happening in the chart sound mm -hmm. and they're offering to sign one of your acoustic guitar slide dobro swampy tracks well yeah. how much of a history do they have with shows that use that music yeah so that's exactly so that's always oh oh i mean always do your homework even if it's non-exclusive but especially if it's exclusive do your homework um but that doesn't mean now if you're if you find a library that's wants to or a publishing company that wants to take your stuff exclusively and you're thinking but they haven't really done a lot of my stuff then that's a place you don't just my suggestion wouldn't be to just say no maybe talk with them mm -hmm. sort of start if you feel like you can start a dialogue say I don't feel like this is usually something you do. Can you explain to me why you're taking this? Because their answer might be, oh my gosh, we've just got this new show and your stuff is gonna be amazing because we don't have anything like it and it's gonna stand out. So not making assumptions is a really good place to start. I'm gonna get a little off topic here, but something came up to me. Always respond back. If somebody sends you an email and oh. they say, um, no, but this is an exclusive deal, don't just delete it and not respond back to them. If you are dead set that you are not gonna do anything exclusively and you have sent, you know, signed a blood pact with your co-writer <laughs> that you were never gonna sign exclusive, okay, that's the decision you've made for your company or for your, your sound and your style and that's great. But write them back. Break out the scissors, slice your <laughs> finger, rub it on your writing partner's finger, blood pact. So you've made the decision and you don't wanna negotiate and that's it, dear, library thank you so much this is not going to this is not the deal that's going to work with me i really appreciate blah 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 and this is important because people talk and if you don't respond back they're gonna be like oh my god yeah no don't work with them they don't even respond back to you when you offer them a deal i offer them a deal and they never got back to me or i didn't know uh that you were an exclusive company yes. even though the taxi listing said the word exclusive in right. it at least once if not two or three times the library owners uh 
invest a fair amount of time. They listen to the piece of music two or three or four times once they've got an inkling that they would be interested in signing it. And then they probably Google you to see what your personal history is. If you've got other stuff in other libraries, they're gonna research it to make sure that you own the copyright. So they do all this due diligence, and then they say, I'd like to offer you a deal. No, I don't wanna sign with an exclusive library, or yeah. I don't wanna sign with a non-exclusive library. Yeah. So yeah, you can, they don't like wasting time. Time is their precious commodity. So yeah, there you go. Um, can we talk a minute about uh, royalty-free libraries? Uh, Brooke and I have had a couple of discussions about this and, and something that comes up in the office a lot. I know taxi members, some of our biggest earning taxi members who have music in royalty-free libraries. These are mm -hmm. six-figure members and they will put music virtually anywhere. But I've gone and researched some of the libraries where they have music in royalty-free catalogs. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple different kinds of royalty free, and I'm not entirely sure I really understand it all that well. It was explained to me by Michael, uh, what's his name, Penn Music Publishing, um, Michael Eames, gave a great explanation. Frankly, I'm a little dim-witted and can't remember exactly what he said. Do you understand what the two types of um, royalty free are? I haven't looked into much what the two different types are. That isn't something that I know too much about. I don't think anybody yeah. does, frankly. And, um, and, and I think they want it to be that way. Probably. Uh, well, and you and I were talking earlier, um, a lot of independent filmmakers, uh, it's something we would like to do more of around here is get more listings from independent filmmakers that are licensing music for two to $500 sync fees and putting their films out uh, maybe in the Hallmark Channel, stuff like that. Not big budget, big blockbuster feature films, but stuff where you go, I'm kind of proud of the fact that I've got a song playing you know, in a montage in this film on, on life, Lifetime um, or Hallmark or wherever. And so in my personal research, going and, and looking for these smaller independent filmmakers that would have budgets like that, they're all looking for royalty-free catalogs. They're going online and searching, literally Googling royalty-free music yeah. because they're under the misguided notion that if there are royalties to be paid, that they're gonna be writing checks for the royalties out of their personal bank account, which is not true. So can you explain to, if there are yeah. any, any filmmakers watching where the royalties yeah. get paid from. Yeah, <laughs> so you have your license fee and then you have your royalty and they are not the same thing. So the license fee is the thing that you're paying up front. Um, so now this is, can, this is important for both like the supervisor side and the artist side. You may um, license your song to something, something you know, for no licensing fee a dollar or whatever it is. Or for agreement. zero, it could for be zero. a gratis yeah. deal, yeah. You can definitely do a gratis deal. There's also um, step-up deals um, they'll sometimes do for like indie artists where they'll do like a festival deal. So maybe it's an indie film, it's low budget. They really want your song. You're kind of a hot new band, but you don't have, you know, maybe you're not signed yet or something. And so they'll say, look, we're new, you're new. We don't have any money but we really believe in this film. We really believe in your song. We think this film is gonna get picked up at a festival and right. then it's going to get distributed. So they'll maybe do a deal with you, a festival deal where they'll say, we're not gonna pay you anything or we're gonna pay you very little to put your song on the film for this amount of distribution. So they'll distribute it just to festivals. And then if it gets picked up, then they're 
maybe there's either in the contract they've already got um, parameters for what happens next or they, they renegotiate and you get a different license. I would say they would probably go for the parameters spelled out now so that they don't get hung yeah. out to dry. It's like, well, now yeah. I want $10,000. Yeah. <laughs> once you're in, you know, yeah. yeah. So usually they'll, it, that's what's called the step ups. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I got excited about talking about stuff. That I'm is geeking what old out age, right now. That's what Sorry. old age feels like. <laughs> I oh know because goodness. I'm old. Um, it, it's amazing to me how, just astonishing how many filmmakers oh. really don't understand. Yeah, I remember what we were talking about. I'm so sorry. Good job. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to make little notes for myself here. Um, so he was asking about... Um, royalties versus we're talking about royalties versus licensing fees so you may end up with no licensing fee or a small one or a step up something like that now royalties is what's going to happen after the song is placed in something and the contracts are signed and it's getting used so be it um here in the states if it's getting played in the theaters you don't get any money from that um just, but pretty much everywhere else in the world you do right yeah pretty, pretty much. much i mean everywhere else in europe anyway yeah probably not in some other countries but in mind, it's probably not anywhere it's probably going to play, most likely. And let's say you get something in a feature film and you don't get paid any performance money for theatrical performances, um, but the film migrates to television. Yeah. And that's where you get your royalties, and that's your performance royalties, and that's going to be pay, play, paid out by your PRO, your Performing Rights Organization, which is BMI, ASCAP, CSAC, or whichever one you have, PRS, or... <laughs> and uh, Irving Azoff has a new one, which oh. I can never remember the name of. But he's tr been trying now for about a year to get a fourth one off the ground. Because the U.S. has laws that allow that. Huh? So for those those independent filmmakers who are watching the show today, and there are probably zero of you, but just in case, royalty-free, just so you understand, if you have a situation where a song makes royalties later... It doesn't come out of your pocket. It comes from ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. Not from theatrical, but when it's performed on TV, um, the internet, uh, I can't even begin to tell you what the streaming rates are or try to explain that. But there are some, there is some, I think it's a percanical, which is <laughs> my word for a combination of performance right and mechanical. When your music is affixed to a video and streamed on the internet, you get paid some weird Fee that's lower. Point zero, zero, zero. Yeah, you don't have that number of zeros on your calculator. <laughs> it's that pathetic. It's but low. you do get paid, yeah. and uh, you know that's got to change. Um, the, the what's the law that just got passed? Cop no, not not the digital. The um, copy. Oh my God. Music Modernization yes. Act um, was just passed. Is, yeah. I, I don't actually know when it goes into effect. I'm guessing probably. January of 2019, but that's just a guess. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that will address some of the issues. Frankly, I did endeavor over the weekend after the road rally when we had the fires here in Los Angeles and my wife and I were holed up in a hotel room at, yep, the Westin LAX. Um, I was sitting there on the bed with my laptop watching our neighborhood burn. Our house didn't, thank you very much. And reading up on the Music Modernization Act and frankly, it hurt my head. It didn't do much. Well, I feel like it didn't do much. It's, yeah. I, yeah, I read a bunch about it because I was like, especially for the rally, I really wanted to be able to talk about it. And I kept reading about it. I'm like, where's the rest is kind of how I felt. Um, I think it does some important things. It's creating uh, a, an organization that is going to be in charge of 
organizing things, basically, making sure <laughs> that, um, because one of the big issues they have in paying songwriters is that they don't know which version of which song goes to who, right. and who wrote, if it's a cover, who wrote it. So they're creating this big organization that is going to sort of match everything, so that, because there's all this money that's supposed to get paid to people, and they don't know who it's supposed to get paid to. So that was the big thing. They're all, they've also created... Um, a way for pre-1978 recordings to make money streaming because that was left out of the other last Copyright Act. Um, I didn't see a lot that's going to relate back to film and television. It's more interesting. going to help about streaming. Okay, well, yeah. all right. So if you get something placed in, hypothetically, a Hallmark movie, mm -hmm. it's going to end up streaming Right. What's there. what's supposed to happen there with that is that they that the um, supervisor or whoever um, fills out the cue sheet. Mm -hmm. So that's already going to match everything. So that's going to have all the writer's information. So that's not going to be that that's where that money is going to come from based on the cue sheet. It's not going to come from what anything that would have changed in the music modernization act. Do you have any idea? There's a company in Woodland Hills that's been around forever um, mm -hmm. called Music Reports Incorporated (MRI). And they have a giant database of all this stuff. Okay. And I, I remember back when a lot of our members were getting stuff placed on the Oprah Winfrey show, that if memory serves correctly, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this right, that our members were not getting paid um, performance royalties through ASCAP or BMI, even though Oprah aired on ABC. I think what she was doing was pretty much akin to direct licensing on ABC and the performances okay. were somehow paid by MRI. And I've never been able to get an answer that I understood about this from anybody, including yeah. the library that was getting a lot of the music there, some of our members who are really, really smart, like Matt Hurt, for instance. Matt Hurt knows more about how music libraries work on a business side, I believe, than many of the owners of libraries. The guy is really tuned into this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand the explanation when he told me some <laughs> years ago. Maybe, like I said, I'm just a little dim-witted, but uh, I think an over uh, a broad statement about everything is that there are a lot of things that still aren't understood a lot of stuff is still in flux mm -hmm. but you know the best thing you can do is just make a lot of music and get it out there because at some point it is going to be codified and people are going to get yeah. paid more get it out there and tag it correctly too put your phone number your pro your pro number everywhere yep and if, when you give music to people it's very important, like if you give somebody a CD at the road rally, let's say, that, that place, the yeah. information is on there, but like everywhere. I mean, it's have it on the outside of the CD. If you, if you give somebody a CD that just has a blank CD in it and then they take away this part, like who does this belong to? And then you put it in your computer and it comes up and it just says, Track, track one, one, track two, track three. <laughs> oh, we both have that same album. <laughs> track one, track two, track three. I know it well. Yeah, put all of your information in there. Have it properly tagged. So before we close out this half hour, uh, let's talk about um, publishing in the traditional sense that back in the day before film and TV became a thing, a goal for a lot of songwriters was to get a publishing deal with Sony or Warner Chapel or one of the big brand name publishing companies, Universal, um, and, and they would give you an advance. Back in the day, if you were a pretty healthy 
a songwriter, fair to say you get a $100,000 advance. I mean, I'm talking 20 years ago. You get a 100K advance, then it became a 50, and then a 25, and then it's like, here's a cheeseburger. <laughs> but they would advance yeah. you X amount of money to help keep you alive so that you could do what you did best, which is writing right. songs. And by the way, an advance. So once you earn that money, you don't get it right. back. You right, to, you chisel it's a, away. It's a at, credit. Yeah, so if yeah. you earn $150,000 and they advanced you 100, you would still collect 50 grand. Uh, but if you only earn 75,000 and they advanced you 100k, you would still be into them for 25,000. And I'm guessing that that was cumulative over the life of the contract that let's say it was a, you know, four-year deal and each year you fell short by 25k, you'd still owe them um, 100k. See how good I was at that math? That was really good. <laughs> anyway, so that was a traditional publishing deal. Then the publisher, oh, this was what the gentleman, somebody said this to me. Um, I would never do a deal where I'd give away 100% of my publishing. I would do a 50% publishing deal. Well, that's called a co-publishing deal. In Nashville, for as long as the sun has been rising on the horizon every morning, Nashville is a co-publishing town where if you got a, a deal, and the same would be true if you were a songwriter in LA or New York, frankly, and you signed a deal with a publishing company as you were a writer, or even an artist that wrote your own material for your own records, you would do a co-pub deal where they would give you X amount of money in exchange for you giving them a 50% ownership in every song you wrote. Uh, if you did co-writes with other writers, then that would diminish the amount of money they could make per exploitation of each song. So then you would get kind of a half credit for that. And uh, you would have to come up with 24 songs in a year um, if they were all co-written versus 12. The bottom line is they would sign you, they would advance you some money, they would sign you, they would nurture you, they would guide you, they would tell you which songs were your best, which ones had the highest probability getting cuts, which ones needed to be tweaked. And then once they got material that they felt really good about, they would go pound pavement and they would exploit their, your music to their relationships. If they had a relationship with Oh, I don't know, pick an artist, uh, Beyonce. She's my favorite easy pick. Um, Beyonce's uh, producer, manager, um, A&R person at the label, they would then pitch that stuff. And if you got a cut with Beyonce and made a bunch of money, then you would pay, that would help pay or entirely pay back your advance. And that was great. Well, the film and TV music world, as it relates to our world, mm. ain't like that. Now, if you were a big hit songwriter and you were signed to Universal and mm -hmm. they got a song of yours in a movie, that's on a different scale and that's a different deal than we're used to dealing with. Mm -hmm. Music libraries uh, in aggregate, I believe, are making up a big percentage of the industry right now. However, if somebody signed to Sony and they're a hit songwriter and they've had a hit with Beyonce and that Beyonce song makes it into a movie, they're going to have a deal that's probably going to be a hundred thousand dollars sync to a quarter of a million maybe on something really big like a super bowl commercial a million or more of those decent guesses mm -hmm. okay she's also a music attorney so i like when i get consensus <laughs> there um she knows this stuff and uh so that's a whole different world than the penny business of music libraries now, don't get discouraged thinking I'm never going to have a giant song that's going to get me $100,000 or a million dollars because we do have taxi members that are making multiple six-figure incomes 
from a few pennies here, a few dollars there, it all adds up over time. And the stuff that you created today will still be getting used in some likelihood, if not a lot of likelihood, years down the road. So the back catalog is earning and the new stuff is earning. And before you know it, you're just filthy rich and you're going to be on cribs. Okay. That's how it works. Just saying. Is that Chestalon? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> they will bring it back for you. Um, I think one thing that's interesting that you brought up is about the the, the co-publishing split. Because I think one thing that's important for people to know is like, I've given away my song. Mm. I've given away your publishing. You have not given away your song. It is still your song. You are the writer. And you will always be the writer. You're and, right. People don't get yes, that. And every time you get a fee, you are going to get your half, your writing half. There's, there's like, of your song, there's your publishing and there's your writer. So if you have... A co-pub deal. This turns into a half. <laughs> That's what we're gonna do with real money. Okay. Yes. So this turns into a half, and you get this. Now you. Oh no! Do that. I know. I just defaced a dollar. No, I put it back together, and it's cool. <laughs> it's, scotch tape is legal. <laughs> I've actually looked this up. <laughs> okay. So now you've got two halves. <laughs> and so then, if you get a, if you have a co-publishing deal, then this turns into. 50 cents and then you still get this right but now if you've signed your publishing your your song is not gone it just it's just belongs to this person over here and this is the side you get now this is your song side you still have the recording side over here Ooh. which is going to be in a different the master realm. license your master license so in our world of film and TV, mm -hmm. music library-ish stuff most of the time, mm -hmm. uh, when they say they're going to license your, let's say you're doing a thing on the Hallmark Channel, you're getting a $500 sync fee. Mm -hmm. That covers both the license of the composition mm -hmm. and the license of the master recording. Right. All and, in. Yeah, and you need to own both of those. Right. I think that was also the part that the gentleman that spoke to my wife on the phone, I don't want to give up my master. Well. Again, it goes back to what yeah. you opened the show with. Got any First of all, you're not going to do that in most of these library agreements, but it also, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but if you have signed away the publishing of your song, yeah. you can't sign your master to something else. Right. Because the song is within the master. So it. Yeah. It no publisher matter. would be dumb enough to do yeah. that deal because then you could say, nope, 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 I'm not going to let you have the master. Even though they own the publishing, I guess they could go yeah. re record the master, but that would be unwieldy. Right. Thank you. The dollar is being repaired. Very precise surgery over here. Look, like new. I'm going to spend that at a grocery store on my way home from work tonight to see if I can slip it by. Um, anything that we haven't touched on? Uh, did that cover the whole ball of wax on Publishing 101? Any questions from you guys before we move on? Because we've got two minutes left. I'm doing a pub deal tonight. What? Oh, Tradition. gosh. <laughs> see, I told you Peter Rahill's funny. That's a oh. pub crawl, not a pub deal. <laughs> Walk in, crawl out. <laughs> If you, oh, that's a good question. If you sign an exclusive, do you need to take your track down from sites like SoundCloud? Um, that's a really that good question. That is a really good question. I mean, 
I don't. Is, does anybody make money from SoundCloud? Honestly, I don't know I don't how the think mo- so. monetization works. I know that they works. say that they're trying to make that happen one of these days, but I haven't ever seen how that that it happens yet. Um, so my answer is probably going to be no. I would say that but, there's a, an upside in leaving it on SoundCloud yeah. because there are some music supervisors or library owners that will cruise SoundCloud looking for stuff. And if they reach out to you and say, oh, I love your song, Johnny's song, and you go, oh, sorry, that's already, already signed to an exclusive signed. deal, they yeah. might say, can you make another one that's kind of like that? Yeah. So it can work as And libraries marketing. and soups, they want those views, you know? They, right. they want to be able to, like, if like I'm a library and I want to pitch to... Um, some show and they're like yeah but i don't know we kind of want this other song she's got like she's a little more popular we can say actually this one has like 7k you know spins on soundcloud so i i don't think you're going to find a situation where you have to take it down i mean they might they might ask you to but i i think it's going to be very unlikely something that we run into on taxi tv quite frequently now is we get uh what do they call those notices from youtube Copy strikes, copyright strikes or copy strikes? Yeah, I mean, we, they... Something, publishing strikes. Copy strikes. Uh, a lot of our members, a lot mm-hmm. of musicians all over the world um, will use CD Baby or TuneCore, some of the other services, mm-hmm. um, to distribute their music out where they can sell it. Right. In the process of doing that, there's a paragraph or several paragraphs and a little checkbox in, in the agreement that says, would you like us to help you monetize your song by being your publisher. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I've got a publisher, check. And then yeah. they submit that song to, well, let's keep it in Taxi TV for a moment. So they have it register, or they've signed a publishing deal. It's a real publishing deal with TuneCore, with CD Baby, whatever. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with those companies. They're straight up companies. They're not doing anything dishonest. But you've got to think, do I want to limit my possibilities for this piece of music elsewhere by signing his publishing deal? So we put out an episode of Taxi TV, we play members' music, and then we get notifications from YouTube saying, you've used copyrighted music in your show. We're not going to punish you. Thank you so much, YouTube. Um, but uh, somebody's going to monetize it, and it's going to be either TuneCore, CD Baby, whomever, whatever the service is. And there's some sort of revenue share with you and that service, so you might make a few pennies. The problem comes, it's not about taxi TV. The problem is when you submit that music to a taxi listing, and then it goes to a music library that's got an exclusive deal, and you go, yep. I own 100%. I control the copyright. I control the master. And then they sign it into their catalog and find out that, lo and behold, you have signed a publishing deal. Yeah. I would imagine they get quite cranky about that. So know what you're signing. Now, somebody did tell me at the road rally that there is a way to sign one of those deals that is only for monetization in microsyncs, meaning your song gets used on YouTube in somebody else's video, but I don't know any publisher that's gonna do an exclusive deal if somebody else controls it, even for microsyncs, because they may wanna do a big bucket deal with their stuff for microsyncs. Libraries are definitely doing that. Yeah. Because they add up. So any other thoughts about that? I'm not nuts, right? No, you're not nuts. (laughs) Oh, good. Isn't there a way to get out of of that one? Yeah, um, I believe that you can. I've been told that um, 
anecdotally. Yeah. Uh, I, I probably should call my friend yeah. Tony and ask what the deal is. And again, I'm not saying anything bad about any of those companies. I think that, you know, they've had real music attorneys construct those deals and you're oh, signing sure. a, a legitimate deal. For sure. It's just, it, you're, and it's not impossible that somebody could hear your music on an episode of a YouTube vlog and go, oh, I want to license that for a film for $10,000. Um, and then you would actually get paid through TuneCore, CD Baby, or whoever has the publishing on it, just like you would with a library. But they're not in the business of getting out there and monetizing music in the way the library does. So the, the deal, on one hand, makes you money where you weren't making money before from microsyncs. On the other hand, it prevents you from fully enjoying the benefits of film and TV like you would if you were with a productive library. Yeah. I, I yeah. was really articulate, right, when I said that. <laughs> I think if you, if it's something that's very niche, it's maybe just an album that you're putting out that you don't really, you're not pushing towards sync. If it's something that's more experimental, um, maybe even something children's, um, something that where you're not going to be pushing this towards a library, then that's a good way to maybe get a few little things to add up that you wouldn't get otherwise because there's a lot of things that are just just more sort of left of center that a lot of libraries just might not take the time to sign even though they could get a few microsyncs it's just not worth the time of them bring of doing the contracting bringing it in tagging it and getting it out there so in so that case then it's not a bad idea i met a guy could have been a taxi member. Maybe I met him at the road rally. I don't know. But somebody that had an album full of the kind of music you would hear if you went to a planetarium to see the show where they project the, the you know the stars yeah, on yeah, the roof. Yeah. And it was really, really, really good music. Uh -huh. It was very inventive. It was very well crafted. And I listened to the guy's CD and I said to him, I was doing one-to-ones at the Hawaii Songwriters thing. That's right. And that's where I heard it. And I actually took the CD, went back to my hotel room that night, listened to it top to bottom. And I tracked the guy down the next day and said, this is really well done. It's really only got one purpose that I can see, which is you should get this to every planetarium in the country, maybe the world, because they would use it. But would it ever get licensed in a TV show? That's a one in a million long shot because of the type of music it is, it would have to be a scene where the They're, characters are, are at, at a planetarium. planetarium. <laughs> which, funny enough, there's an episode of Big Bang Theory oh, where he becomes, uh, I forget the character's name. Coward, right? What? No, uh, he became the astronaut. The guy from India, the character that's Raj. Indian. Raj becomes the microphone guy at the Griffith Observatory. And they actually do have like the last five seconds of the presentation. And he goes, mm -hmm. and that's it this week from blah, blah, blah. So it could get licensed there, but it's not in the typical form of an instrumental cue. Yeah. So, yeah, in that case, it, it's such a niche thing. It doesn't get any more niche than that, I don't think. That's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty niche. Yep. So with that, we hope we've clarified or really confused the hell out of you on music publishing and how it relates to film and television. And with that, let's play an exciting round of, hang on, we need music. Can you second guess the taxi screener? <laughs> so as I said, we have uh, taxi member Henry Winkle uh, inspired this last week when he said, uh, play my music and try and guess 
Oh, <laughs> Bria's, Bria's moved on. She no longer kicks me under the table now. She holds up notes that say, don't forget to hold up the subscribe thing. So do that. You know, even if you're watching the archive, would it kill you to hit the subscribe button and make YouTube like us better? Can give us a thumbs up. And you can share. Oh, Bria, I just remembered you haven't made me my little bell. Bria was supposed to make me a bell alert icon that I could hold up on a popsicle stick. Because you thought mine was bad. You said I can make you a better one. What does the bell do? Um, if there's a little bell up in the upper right-hand corner, and if you click it, then every time the show goes live, it sends you an alert. If a new video is posted, it sends you an alert. So it's a little alarm. When you subscribe. Oh, it's next to the subscribe button when you subscribe. But even after the fact, there's a red bell up in the upper right-hand corner. That's no? not what that's for. That's, What's that for? That's notifications. What do notifications tell you? That's like notifications for your own like YouTube account. It's unrelated. I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> Don't hit the red bell. <laughs> well, you could hit it and just get. Okay, so notification. Well, look, if they're subscribing to Taxi and they've got notifications on their own exactly. account. So there you go. I was right all along. Just saying. Okay. Um, so with all that said, and my newly put back together dollar federal government, just in case you're watching the show. You know, I used to get really upset when you'd go to like an Abraham, you know, this is where Abraham Lincoln lived when he was a kid and they put you put a penny in, you crank the thing and it comes out all misshapen with mm -hmm. like Abraham Lincoln's face all stretched. Um, that's defacing money. Sure. Why isn't that illegal? And they do it out in the open. It's just a penny. I don't know. Somewhere there's a lawyer that will, you know, find a way to take you to court and send you to prison for that. Oh so gosh. what we are going to do um, is I'm going to read the listing. Then we're going to play a piece of music. And then you guys are going to tell us why this wasn't forwarded. What's your best guess as to why the screener didn't forward it? And then Brooke will take a shot. Maybe I'll chime in if I'm feeling... Like I nailed it, because if I don't, then I can just keep my mouth shut and lay it all up on Brooke. <laughs> and, uh, and then we're going to actually check out the critique. Where's the critique? The next page. Oh, the next page? Oh, next stack. So these no, are... No, 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 It'll say, so like the one page is the listing, listing. and you go to the next page. Oh, reason not forwarded. Yeah. Okay. So these, this is an actual listing. Yep. These actual were actual list. songs that were submitted, and they were actually critiqued by actual taxi screeners. As opposed to the fake ones. Yeah. It's yeah. important. <laughs> right. All those fake screeners uh, that we don't have. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding for any of you conspiracy theorists out there. Okay. Uh, and we are going to mention the name of the members who submitted this today. And thank you for being brave and being willing to share your stuff that wasn't forwarded. So this first one is a song called Allegria, and it's by Marion Laird. And the listing was U160329MS. Um, and it said, emotionally upbeat mariachi songs with male or female vocals in Spanish are needed for three to $500 non-exclusive direct-to-director placement in a feature film that needs to replace the song El Rancho Grande by Los Carrios. Uh, please submit lighthearted to mid-up-tempo songs that could be found sharing the same playlist as Los Carrios, uh, Mariachi, Vargas de, I can't pronounce that word, Teca, I can't say it. Mariachi los Capote. <laughs> you know, 
Capotles? Capo- capotales. Capotales. Yeah. This. Yeah. What's that word? <laughs> um, that tec- one's mind blowing, isn't it? Teclitlan. Teclitlan. Tecalitan. Tecalitan. You speak French, right? Because mm-hmm. that sounds like you had a French accent. Yeah. <laughs> Good shot. Um, anyway. c'est tecalitan. Yeah, there you go. See, now that works. Take a listen <laughs> to the following references to get in the stylistic wheelhouse of what they need. And then the, the aforementioned things were referenced, which I'm not going to play because we would just get copyright strikes. I'm quoting the director. The song should be upbeat and fun. One of the characters is waking up to hear Hispanic contractors working on the house and the music is presumably coming from a boom box in the background, which is pretty funny because all contractors do have a boom box. It's a rule. They can't get their contractor license unless they have a dirty boom box of paint all over it. Um, give them fun, lively, and exuberant songs that are or sound like a real believable mariachi band with solid musicianship and a vocal performance that generally flex, reflects the vibe of the references above. The lyric theme for this pitch is not critically important due to the background quote-unquote use, meaning mm-hmm. it's not going to be featured. It's going to play off a jukebox or a car it's radio or a source box. music. Right. Perfect example of when we say source music. Yeah. That's uh, what this uh, is. That's right. you got three guys that are plastering a ceiling or something, and the boombox is set up at the foot of the ladder, and they're just working So when we always say, like, don't have specific lyrics, don't talk about specific people, in this instance, there's more flexibility with that because it's not something that's supposed to relate to the scene in regards to the lyrics is supposed to relate to what these people are listening to and they might listen to something that talks about a specific person yep uh do not copy a rip off oh this is an old one because we saw the rip off <laughs> reference in there uh the reference artist songs anyway shape or form blah 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 estimated license fees three to hundred yeah that's all just you know when you need to get it in by stuff like that so emotionally upbeat mariachi songs with male or female vocals in spanish needed for three to five hundred dollar non-exclusive director director placement in a feature film that needs to replace these three songs and bria hit it if you want to look at that estoy tan alegre y yo no sé por qué Con fuerza como el tigre, así me encantaré el día, me encanta este día, alegría, baila en mi corazón, podría la música por siempre, con el gozo en mi alma, me sigue Cuando canto este tan feliz canción do you guys say I would love so they get to talk first yeah okay um, I think that works out well did you write down your reason mm-hmm. so that we yeah know I've not, already written it down we know that you're not cheating yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wrote mine down too yeah Ooh. one word <gasps> we have the uh, same thing okay 
<laughs> it's kind of far away. You can tell it. when Brooke is over it. I'm not over it. I just got it. That's so sad. No, no, no. This was a good song. I promise it was a good song. We're going to have to just... make you wear a ski mask now when you're <gasps> yeah, on taxi. Brooke TV. is over it. That's terrible. <laughs> No, I mean... She knew what she needed to know. I want to tell you guys, I've screened for a long time. So if I was screening this, I'm going to continue listening. But for this instance, like, we need, we need to know what, what would be the big thing, reason to, to return it. And that was clear to me early on. So I was not over it. <laughs> you will never meet a more dedicated screener or just general listener of music. This lady loves music, and she I is do. a great champion of, of songwriters and artists. So, yeah, she will never be over it. Uh, <gasps> Resting over it face? <gasps> no, you guys know I can read these, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so okay. what are our ideas besides my resting over it face? Not tight enough. Um, could be non-native Spanish singer. It was good, but for mariachi, everyone expects brassy, upbeat horns. Depends what part of Mexico you live in, if there are horn players who live there that you can use or not. Uh, Mix. Yeah. It'd be great on narcos. Uh, Hot vocal. So mix. Yeah. Mix. And now you've or, been called the best in all caps. Thank you, Carrie Cox. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Not tight enough. Behind the beat. Uh, I want to comment on that aspect. I mean, frankly, Mariachi's kind of famous for being a little drunken. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, that part didn't bother me. Yeah, yeah. It's, Mariachi's supposed to feel a little Have, sloppy. Yeah. You know, yeah. To, there's, a, add, there's a lot of guys up there. Yeah, and, and it adds the authenticity. Yeah. And frankly, they get tipped in shots of tequila. So, you know, by the end of the <laughs> night, it's a little sloppier than the beginning of the night. It was the mix. Yep. Mix was vocal heavy. Okay. Okay. Sounds not so, studio quality. Should we, uh, should we talk about what I said? Yeah. So, I'm right curious. there, it says mix. If you can see that, um, his also says mix. Um, what I wrote down, so the first thing when Michael was reading the listing is I wrote down like a few like key terms. And if you're somebody who has a lot of songs and you're, you submit a lot, I think that's a, maybe if you find that you're getting returned because you've submitted incorrectly, you might, when you're reading one of these is just put down a few key terms. So when you go through the songs you're going to submit, you can be like, Oh, I forgot it's supposed to be mid to up tempo, mm -hmm. you know? So have those key things. I wrote upbeat, mariachi, Spanish, lighthearted, mid to up tempo, contractors, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun, lively. Um, so the, the, I liked the intro. The first thing I was concerned about is that it wasn't going to be Spanish. And you, I hear this in listings when they ask for mariachi music. People said mariachi music, but it doesn't have Spanish vocals. Or it's just instrumental. You just you read the first part. Mariachi, super excited. Right, I got it. I have mariachi music. And you submit it, but you didn't read the rest. That it ha needs to have vocals or needs to have female or male or whatever it's supposed to be. This says male or female, and it says vocals in Spanish. So I wrote down good intro Spanish, like exciting, yay. Um, the I did write down vocal style in that sort of somebody said, is this a native speaker Spanish? I, that wouldn't have been an automatic return for me. Um, but then on top of the mix, which I found was an issue. Um, and then there were also parts where I did feel like it was, I think people were talking about the horns, where for me, that wasn't as exuberant 
as mm. requested in the listing. This held a little, I don't speak Spanish, so I didn't hear, I, didn't, I don't know what the lyrics were, but there was a little bit of a feel slightly more somber to me. Now also, I haven't listened to the references yet, right. because we can't play them, because we'll get in trouble. Um, <laughs> the YouTube, so YouTube I, strike. I would have, um, yes, this, wait, wait, I'll say it. <laughs> don't do that to this, but that's what would happen to us. Um, yeah, uh, even for my resting over it face. <laughs> You're going to go home and dwell on that all night long, aren't you? Well, I'm certainly not going to tell my husband. He'll have used that forever. <laughs> Is that your resting over it face? <laughs> oh, um, I hope my wife's not watching this episode. I don't want to give her any ideas. <laughs> Uh, so I haven't listened to these references, so I don't know how really exuberant they would be to my ear, but that wasn't the first adjective that came to mind in this. So there isn't, for me, there wasn't one really huge standout thing, but there were three things. The mix, kind of the vocal not feeling super authentic and a little more somber. So all of those three three things to got, to combined would have been why I would have returned it. And the screener said, stylistically, this... Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. We have a drum roll. Do you have a drum roll? No, but I do have this thing for when I talk too much, which is pretty much every episode. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> this episode sponsored by Bag of Wind. Uh, stylistically, this piece works very well. The recording and mix needs work, though, and it's not broadcast quality, and it needs to be. With a better recording, I would have forwarded it. Now, if I may see that listings again, um, it does say broadcast quality yeah. is needed. Great sounding home recordings are fine. And frankly, I might have added to this listing if I were proofing it before it went out the door, which I probably did. I should have probably added era, or not era, genre specific broadcast quality is needed because a lot of mariachi sounds kind of raggedy ass, you know? It, mm -hmm. it's, it sounds like a bunch of drunken, not in tune, not in time players. It does, it's a hallmark of mariachi music. If it sounds too good, it doesn't sound good. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess you could find like the world's best mariachi band, but most of the time. That's part of it. Yeah, it's there's a vibe. Charm. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but the mix, yeah. that was the thing. The, the vocal was too loud, uh, but it, it was good. Oh, yeah. And close. And then the ultimate question is, well, if it's close, why didn't they forward it and let the music supervisor hear it and let the music supervisor decide if the mix is good enough or not good enough for the show? And what would you say to that? Because that's what we're paid to do. Right. I mean, I know it's subjective and it can be super frustrating, but unfortunately that's part of it. And if we said, well, we're going to let them decide, then... What are we doing here? Right. You know, the They're point is... They're not going to come back and ask us to do it again, yeah. that's for sure. Michael ha is unbelievably knowledgeable and has had so much um, experience in this industry. He knows what he's... He knows who to hire, who can, you know, literally what we do is screen, you know? Certain stuff has to go through and certain stuff, unfortunately, doesn't. And um, that's... I, I think... We are. We don't. I don't think there's a single one of us who are trying to keep your music out. We're trying I, to get it in. I'm not listening for, 
you know, what how, can I return this what for? What can I return this for? I'm I'm trying to not hear that stuff. But yeah. when it comes in, it's if we if we send too much stuff, they're like, well, maybe it'll be okay. Um, they're gonna stop using us. Don't you find when you screen that you second guess yourself? Um, I, I think I know I used to, and I've had this conversation with other screeners that there are times that you return something and you go. Three songs later, you're still thinking about it, and mm -hmm. you're in. Sometimes I used to go back and listen uh, because back when I did it, we had all CDs. Mm -hmm. uh, I would go back and listen again and just beat myself up, going, "Ah, maybe I should afford it." But that's ultimately the test is if it doesn't hit you as something that the supervisor would do a cartwheel over immediately upon hearing it. It probably yeah. shouldn't go to him or her. And the thing is, we do not compare. We don't think oh, well, this one, that other right. one we listened to is better than this one, so I'm not going to submit this one. We don't do that. If it's good enough, it goes. But the fact of the matter is, if we have for forwarded so many that are so good, even if yours is, if yours is close, it's, it doesn't, it's not going to get chosen. Right. You know, if it's not as good. So, anyway, yeah, yeah. The, that was pretty darn close. But... Yeah. It also, I don't think it does the writers any good if we are too liberal forwarding because you're going to think, it's brilliant. I don't have to do any work on this. And if that's not the case, then we're hampering you because you could have, this person could easily go back in there, pull the vocal down, rework the mix, and then this can work for another listing. Okay. This one, I haven't even thought about this listing since we put it out, but it just ended on November 25th, a couple of days, three days after Thanksgiving. Uh, it was listing number Y181125, P is in Paul, E is in Edward, Edward. It was for contemporary pop EDM songs with female vocals are needed for an up to $100,000 direct ad agency placement and a national TV commercial for a major retail chain. The client is in search of songs that could fit in the general stylistic ballpark of the references they gave us. Uh, which were Stay by Zed, uh, featuring Alicia Cara, The Middle by Zed, featuring uh, Marin Morris and Gray. Note, you'd be wise to submit material that stays close to the tempo of the reference tracks, which is often a really key thing because they've probably cut the commercial, e either one or two things, they've cut the commercial to the song or they've used a song that worked with the edits that they already had. But tempo is very important in these things. Um, so we, we checked out the, the tempo and it was 100 to 110 BPM. Please avoid sending in any knockoffs or soundalikes. Your submission should be inspired by the tempo and the vibe of the references. Please send A plus pop slash EDM songs have a great song structure, big hooks, and a really catchy chorus. Just an educated guess on our part, but we think the choruses of the references are the red meat for what they're looking for. That's almost always the case, but not 100% of the time. Your submission should have a stellar vocal performance and polished production with a very modern feel and instrument sounds. Take note that both the references, that both of the references have really cool synth and bass sounds. The vocal sound and approach appears to be a big factor in both songs as well. Lyric tip. They're looking for emotionally upbeat lyrics about loving life and being independent as well as looking and feeling happy and satisfied. You'd be smart to avoid any references to specific names, dates, times, places, brands, or profanity if you'd like to increase your chances of getting your song used. 
another taxi tip. Please remember that less is more. Boy, no more true words have ever been spoken. If you aren't familiar with how to craft a lyric or hook for branding marketing usages, uh, uses, you'd be smart to wrap up your education on just how that's done. Before submitting to this requ request, try watching several ads by big retail chains like Walmart, Target, Kmart, Kohl's, TJ Maxx, etc. Man, oh man, if I were you guys, I would go on YouTube and watch every commercial I could find from those companies because they run a lot of ads yeah. and they all have kind of a similar thread running through Especially them. Especially right now, Target is running so many ads for the holidays and I feel like every single one has a new, upbeat, really cool, hip song. Yep. They're, With the occasional like... sleigh bell shaking in the background. <laughs> <laughs> man, I swear... I don't think the kids had even eaten the Halloween candy and those commercials started playing. It gets earlier every year. It used to be yeah. Thanksgiving was the introduction of that stuff. Um, okay, please do not copy. So the rest of it's all stuff that doesn't matter. So let's have a listen. And we're going to listen to a song called Into the Light by Jettison Blue. Here we go. I'm moving Let's see what you did or what you thought. The first reference was Zed, and was this the, I mean, the second one was the first one again? Um, they were both Zed. It was uh, both. Oh, yeah. that's why I couldn't think of anyone right. else. One uh, had yeah. uh, featuring Alicia Cara, and the other one was featuring Mara Morris. Yeah. Okay. Snare drum is too real. Other than that, seems really good. Uh, a little more pop than EDM. Nice track. Uh, like those lyrics too, kind of feels ninety, like late nineties. It's good, but it sounds dated for today's commercials. They need more contemporary. Stephen Spinner says, "Try the freebie YouTube stuff from Manly and other com compression hardware companies." Okay. Um, Paul House gives it a plus one or an asterisk. 
one, not EDM enough, close, but I don't know if it's powerful and hooky enough. Drums are kind of lo-fi, great song, but too laid back in comparison to Zed, missing some EDM elements. Um, So, okay. I feel like most people are saying it's not EDM. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Right. It's pop. Yeah. And this did say EDM pop, but there's a difference. This was pop EDM and pop and EDM on their own are different. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, an important distinction. This was like an R&B drum part. Yeah. Yeah, I thought... um, um, so the first thing I noticed that the vocal came in right away. So for film and TV, it's nice if you can at least give even just five seconds of instrumental intro so they can bring it up under picture. Not a reason, you know, not a huge deal, but something that came up to me. I thought the vocal was cute, but I thought it was more tweeny pop. Definitely didn't have that modern stellar vocal. If those references, you know, it's that's a those are big kind of edgier, much more contemporary vocals. They're really distinctive vocals. The main thing that um, I love the stepping out into the light lyric. That is so good for this listing. That's mm-hmm. so good. But then she goes into love and her heart is in love. And I didn't think that fit as well. I felt like the stepping out of the light, let's just let it be about that, about her, about her experiences, her own, you know, personal feeling great about herself as opposed to having to have to do with being in love it, for retail that can confuse it a little bit remember the less is more and it, it, uh, lyrically in the verses mm-hmm. it was a relationship it was a, yeah. a breakup song and i was like okay i'll let it slide because it's in the verse let's see where the chorus goes and sure enough it delivered that line and i mm-hmm. thought that's great but it didn't have the wow factor, the zest, the yeah. big ta-da, I'm free, and I'm going to have yeah. a good time. It was too polite. Yeah. It was just like... Yeah. It was know. a little more sweet <laughs> that, and that's cute. That's my polite and, thing right there. Yeah. I um, mean, like, if you think of, like, these two reference songs, I mean, he just shows me the title, and immediately both of those hooks are in my head. I know exactly which songs those are, and I'm, like, right there with those vocalists. So this... It's that um, that really standout hook. And this one, I'm, wait a second, is the stepping out into the light the hook or is the part with the heart full of love the hook? And I wouldn't remember know which one is the title and it lacks that really... Cohesive yeah. thing. Yeah. John Brahaney, may you rest in peace. Love that word, cohesive. So let's see what the screener said. The screener said, I appreciate the hopeful, honest lyric here. I would have liked the overall song to be much more in the current EDM pop wheelhouse, both in terms of production and top-line melody choices. Thanks. So, Screener zeroed in on what you guys picked up on, what you picked up on. You guys are brilliant. You know what? They get it right. There is a lot to be said for crowdsourcing Mm -hmm. this stuff because um, we get taxi members who get cranky that they haven't been forwarded on something and they're absolutely convinced that the screener has done them wrong Mm -hmm. and we encourage you guys to go on the peer-to-peer section of the forum and post what the listing asked for post your a link to your song and then post the critique and i find that usually the first or second person to respond are a little kinder than the rest of the people, because they're the first. They're like, you know, it's a really good song, Bob. Um, And they don't really address the problem. But then the other more experienced people that kind of understand the helpful aspect of the community and they don't want to sugarcoat it, will come on and get directly to the point. And I would say 98% or greater of the times that the, the crowd on the taxi forum agrees with 
what the screener said. So yeah. you guys, and they nail it on the show all the time. So there you go. Yeah. Good job on that one. Let's do another. Yeah, I haven't seen a single thing that I didn't agree with. That I didn't. What do you mean? Like people that like ideas. Oh, I didn't here. see a single yeah. thing that I didn't agree with, except the resting over it face. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to mess with whoever wrote the it. Resting I over don't face. Care. I'm thick skin. That's gonna have to go in the yearbook. <laughs> okay, the next one is for listing number. Uh, this was a song called Fun Hop by Maurice Muldrow, M-U-L-D-R-O-W. Um, and the listing number was Y180710FH. And it asked for fun, 1990s to early 2000s style hip hop instrumentals are needed by Tuesday, July 10th for an up to $30,000 direct to music supervisor placement as the opening theme music in a new TV series on a huge global cable network. Note, we recently ran this opportunity, blah, blah, blah. They still haven't found what they're looking for. They did come back to us to run it again and they tripled the licensing fee. So they were seriously looking very, very hard to find something. Um, they're looking for mid-top tempo instrumentals that are in the general stylistic wheelhouse of the following references that our client gave us. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song. Um, love that song. Finesse by Bruno Mars and It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. Uh, although the references have vocals, this request is for instrumentals only. Please submit original, well-crafted hip-hop instrumentals that authentically capture the hip-hop sound of that glorious 90s era. Your instrumentals should be melodically and rhythmically engaging with a tone, feel, and vibe that would fit right in with the examples above. Uh, your submissions can be actual old-school instrumentals or are recorded in the 90s or early 2000s, or they can be instrumentals recently recorded just inspired by that era need to be two minutes long with a button ending do not copy blah 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 boilerplate blah 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 there you go so let's have a listen it's my gangster look saying I can see BBD dancing now poison what there must have been do you know where to look I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about there um, the bass is no good for this uh, love it drums seem a bit high in the mix also a bit 
two on the grid. Also, oh, meaning that. Um, but I get a real dx one hundred. Uh, Robbie, the odd sounding lead lead synth. Not era enough, <laughs> very succinct. Pretty close to the examples. Wow, maybe because of the words. The bass needs to be brighter when it's in focus like here. Really good. Who's dancing in their BVDs? Thank you, Peter Rahill. Uh, maybe drums were aggressive for 90s style. Beat is on point for the Fresh Prince reference, uh, like Belle Biv DeVoe. Um, right beat, wrong kit. I'm going to... Wow, people are all over the place on this one. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I, I can't read my own writing, but I agree. Right beat, wrong kit. Um, there were aspects of that kit that I thought, you know what? It works in the song, but it's not going to work as a TV theme. Yeah. Um, because it was just like too... Made I me just... feel like I was licking a light socket. Yeah, I wrote down, like, just distracting, frenetic... Um... And then I wrote, take out when you add. So we talk a lot about this. You'll see in the listings. Yep. Make sure to add instrumentation to create interest and keep people engaged. So that's really important. But also take away things when mm -hmm. you add because pretty soon you just get too much. Too many and layers makes a very thick cake. It does. And it makes a very hard thing to put dialogue or anything over. I agreed with what somebody said about the weird. I didn't think it was weird, but I did think, feel like the synth melody, it just came in really strongly and I felt like it stood out too much and I was worried it was gonna be distracting. Yeah, I think there was like, all of the ideas were good. I just don't know if they were all layered and arranged and mixed in a way that is gonna sit beneath something, like beneath the dialogue or the voiceover, or the action that's going on. I made one note. Well, I wrote down two things. Mix, which really it was the drums that were bothering me, doesn't sound like a theme. On one hand, I could hear it, the bass part, it was like there was a theme in there, but it didn't sound like a theme that was ready to go. Yeah. So let's see what the screener said. Track has some of the requisite elements of this era with the orchestral hits, the new jack beat, and the vocal countdown, though overall, the style and over, overall production values sound dated for this kind of 90s, 2000s hip hop pitch meaning 90s into 2000s. So it was a style call um, for the screener on this one. Did any of you have, I mean, I, I'm not an expert. You know who is, is, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, Owen Chaim, one of our members who is pretty oh, darn yeah. successful. Owen is, is 80s hip-hop 90s hip-hop yeah classic oh, yeah. like 90s he is all over that mm -hmm. stuff i would love to get his take oh and are you in the house dude and this has been happening there's been some a lot of i feel like we've had quite a few um sort of retro hip-hop listings coming through they're back yeah it's back i mean i hadn't seen them in, since i'd worked here but this past six last, months i've yeah. seen all of a sudden you're absolutely right it, uh, bruno mars did finesse and that was it yeah it's back Everything old, you know? The sweaters and everything. Okay. Next one is After Rock One or I by Marcus Leroyd. Um, and this is for listing number Y18 uh, 1106PR. 
Current sounding post-rock instrumentals are needed by successful high-end music library that primarily pitches to advertising campaigns. Um, note, this company has just started running listings with Taxi, so it's very unlikely that you've got any music in their catalog. We think this is a killer opportunity to get in on the ground floor, build a relationship with this company. They're looking for instrumentals in all tempos that are in the general stylistic wheelhouse These uh, of these references they provided to us, which were um, Ken by Mogwai. Is that, you pronounce it Mogwai, right? Mogwai? M-O-G-W-A-I, Mogwai? Ratio by Floating Points, love that. Helios by Airbus, full album by God is an Astronaut. <laughs> Although some of the references have vocals, this is for instrumentals only. Quoting Library, we're looking for modern composers or bands who do post-rock influenced instrumental tracks. We're open to any subgenre of post-rock. We're not looking for new agey material a la Kataro, Kenny G, or Kenny G. Modern post-rock and or electronic-based post-rock influence instrumentals of all energy levels and tempos, tempos are welcome. To deliver an authentic post-rock sound, give them instrumentals that use rock instrumentation in a compelling cinematic and atmospheric way. If you plan on using virtual instruments, please make sure they sound incredibly convincing and real. This is a high-end company and they will be very picky about this. Please avoid submitting anything that sounds synthetic, stiff, or obviously MIDI-driven or over-quantized. Two to four minutes long, non-faded endings. Um, that's it. I think I know which company this is for and I know the person that was screening for them. Um, I'm going to write this down so Brooke can mm. see because she yep. knows the person. Mm -hmm. So okay. um, this was a person that was picked by the company and, and put it this way. He is probably giving, they're in catalog building mode and he is probably saying to them, you need more of this, more of that and stuff that he's quite expert in. So I'm curious to see what he says versus what you guys say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's listen.
All right, you guys said, what's the definition of post-rock? I can't tell you because I'm not expert enough. Whoa, they're flying in fast and furious, doesn't Drums down sound post-rock in this, mystical question mark. Um, guitars are not really working here. Mix is off at this point. Sounds too synthetic overall. It sounds like the start of a song, rock on fence post, just waiting there. Very repetitive, sounds like elements of classic rock guitars. Once everything came in, it was a little jumbled together, could have more energy. I think it sounds like classic rock. Okay, so there's the feedback. I'm gonna actually scroll up. Where'd my mouse go? There it is. I'm gonna scroll up because there were a couple things that came through before I started reading. Um, Bria, how long was the song? Uh, the full song is four minutes and 13 seconds. Okay. Uh, it's on Wikipedia, blah, blah, blah. The track is kicking. Okay. All right. Uh, so, Brooke, what, what was your take? I wrote down a lot for this one. Okay. Um, the reason I asked Bria the length is because, you know, we only listened to, like, what, a minute of it maybe, but I knew it was too long. Um, even though I, I don't, I didn't see how long it was, but I just had a sense that it was. It. I could feel that it was too long. If you think of, so this is licensing. So if you're thinking of the journey of the scene, you are, unless maybe it's HBO, you are very rarely going to have a four-minute scene. Right. Um, that is going to have one piece of music in it. Now, the beginning of this really, you could say, yeah, but there's so many different ways the song builds from the the first minute. It could really go, you know, with all the different movement of a scene. So unlikely that all of that is going to fit into one scene. It feels more, at the beginning anyway, right. it feels more like score. The way it starts really kind of cinematic and, and newegy and ethereal. But then... Um, it, it builds to the rock, and then the other elements start coming in. There's too many things that happen in that first part, and then not enough that happens in the rest. And I feel like if you took off the, the part that's not rock at all, mm -hmm. and then took the whole song, and not take it like this, but go, <laughs> compress it. And that's hard to do because you have to take little pieces out here and there, but really you kind of have to redo it. Um, it's really hard to edit a song like that because you can't just edit the end. Right, legato, anything is hard to cut. Because then the, the, the arc is just, and then your, your minute <laughs> is over. Your arc needs to be like this in that minute or two minutes. So I felt like the journey didn't, it w was going to be hard to, to fit to a scene. Um, I, somebody said that it started to feel repetitive. I definitely felt that way about the melody. Um, as it as it got it came in, I was like, "Ooh, we got a nice little concise melody. It gets a good mood." But then it just kept going on, and I felt like it was too much. Somebody also said that too many things came in, and it started to get muddled. And that is sort of what I was talking about. And the last one is like, once you build things in, also get rid of something. When that when the guitar came in, it would have been a perfect place to take the melody out. Mm -hmm. um, then the melody would have you would have gotten it and it wouldn't end up feeling repetitive and then you put the guitar in instead of the melody and then it doesn't feel like there's too much going on. I keyed in on something kind of different uh, which was that the music library primarily pitches to advertising campaigns and I made a note that says BMW, Jag, Land Rover. I could hear the first 30 seconds of this 
in spirit working in commercials, oh, high-end yeah. car commercials, the headlights on a windy oh, road. Oh, yeah, that night. nocturnal feel. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really good for that, and I was hoping that it would get better because it was at like a 7.5 on the Richter scale, mm -hmm. and I was going, okay, if they take this to an 8 and a 9, I'm going to be really happy. And then it came out that melody thing, yeah. which was like, it's... I, I hope this doesn't offend you, but it sounded like it came yeah. from that kind of. It well, just especially wasn't... in contrast, in contrast right. to the beginning, which is this lush sort of cinematic, you know, luxurious feel, yeah. and then the kind of the yeah, then the melody. It, it was a corny choice of a synth sound, and I don't mean that to. That can work well, in the right song. Right, it, yeah. it, but you're absolutely right. In the context yeah. and contrasting with everything else, rather than it elevating and going to a place where you go. Damn it! They nailed yeah. it! Yay! It was like ah, wah, 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 But wah, would you wah. call that that BMW that advertising car thing? Would you call that post rock though? Would you call it something else? I've I've heard some, particularly on Jaguar, that I would say I've heard some post rock okay. stuff. Um, but what they have here in this song, that first third year, because I would call that more kind of uh, yeah, hybrid was, orchestral. I I would just generically call it cinematic, which you, yeah, you yeah. also said and. Okay. Yeah, um, no, it's, uh, I, I honestly am not a world-class expert on post-rock. Almost every time we've got a post-rock listing and I'm doing a final proof on it, mm -hmm. I will have to go talk to Tom and the guys in the A&R room to go, okay, so post-rock means blah, 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 because sometimes I want to make sure that their descriptions um, match the genre, and that can be tough, as you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes what the libraries ask for by, by title of or genre oh, definition and, and the examples they give us, we sit here going, holy crap. That's not what that is. Right. Yeah, it's true. There's going to be a lot of discrepancy. I've seen people say, I want this style. And you're like, oh, I've got that. And they give you the references. You're like, well, do they want it to sound like the references right. or do they want it to sound like this How genre? How does that happen? I, I don't really understand because I mean, we know these people. They're certainly not mm. unintelligent people and no. they've been around the music industry a long time. To some extent, I think library owners uh, will chase a fad. They'll be at, at an event and hear mm -hmm. other library owners talking about this particular genre is really hot. And then somebody at the next table, while they're eating their hotel chicken, will say, yeah, and I love this band. And maybe they conflate the two. But there was that one famous episode at the road rally where a, a library uh -huh. owner said, uh, uh, what's the genre that... Um, uh, not Zed. Uh, oh, Skrillex. Uh, Dub. Yeah, dubstep. Uh, and the library owner said, we want dubstep like, you know, American Authors or something. Some band that was totally not dubstep at all. Yeah. And, and all, you know, thousand people in the ballroom all went, <gasps> you could literally hear the, the question mark come out of their mouths. Wait, it this was, is a music supervisor? Uh, it was a library, a library owner. Person. They had yeah. made a lot of money for taxi members over like a five to seven year period. Yeah. Um, but conflated. It, yeah. again, wasn't a lack of intelligence. It was a misguided understanding of what the genre was probably because he conflated something else that he heard in the same conversation with that genre. Well, and I, I wonder, I mean, I don't have any, you know, um, evidence of this, but I wonder if it comes from a director, perhaps, who is not <laughs> um, a music, you know, aficionado, who hears something and they love it and they love that song and they don't necessarily know what style it is but they hear people talking about american authors and they hear people talking about dubstep 
Right. And so they ask, the director tells the music supervisor, I want <laughs> EDM. It's telephone. But this right. is a game of telephone. We it, had this it come is. up. I don't know if you were in the ballroom when I had, um, I think it was Mason Cooper and Frank Palazzolo on the stage, two music supervisors who I hold in very high esteem. Um, excuse me. We were talking about this, that, you know, a music supervisor oftentimes isn't the last word on what gets used in a show. Oftentimes it's the, the showrunner, meaning the person who probably created the show yeah. and is in charge of like the general manager of all production aspects of the show. That person has final say over what the music supervisors do in many, many, many cases. And, and they related exactly what mm -hmm. you just said, which is sometimes it could be something their 14 year old says over breakfast that day that influences what they think yeah. would work. And then they take that into work, give it to the music supervisor and the music soup wants to work again. So yeah. they don't open their mouth and say, you are so off base with that yeah. reference that it's not funny. They just kind of slink off and try and figure it out. Totally, for sure. And for um, reality TV or non-scripted TV, it's the editors putting this music in. Yeah. You know, and some of these editors are amazing when it comes to music and they know so much. And some of them know what the feel is and they know how it's supposed to sound, but they don't necessarily know the terminology. Where, did you, were you in the room for, uh, at the beginning of the Road Rally this year when I had uh, Laurel Ostrander? No, I think I was doing oh, a class was. or something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, one day at the end of the day, I'm going to bring all the A and R team in here and to listen back to. She was amazing. Yeah. She just oh, people. I heard people talking about her though. I heard people oh, telling me. About I am it. so in love with her teaching skills. The woman is a natural born teacher oh, who cool. happens to be a great editor who mm -hmm. understands music. She's the whole package. And seriously, anybody who was in the room and heard that mm -hmm. had their lives changed. It was that good. And I've she's got a, audio. She's a, she's, the, she's a music editor or she's a. She's a video, a video editor. editor. Yeah. Oh, cool. Who has, you know, learned, played like an instrument and mm -hmm. grew up with some music in her life. Mm -hmm. And she was also a story editor before she became a video editor. Oh, cool. So she sees music. She, mm -hmm. you know, obviously a video editor is trying to tell a story with their cuts. This lady takes that to the next level with the music needs to tell part of the story as mm -hmm. well. And she really thinks in terms of story. Okay, so the reason that that last thing we heard was not forward is I really like the vibe here, but some of the guitars were not quite as modern or post-rock as this listing needed. This is a finely composed track, one to be proud of, but the acoustic guitar might be something to be replaced with another layer of electric guitars or more piano. Good writing, Marcus, but not perfect here. So, you know, okay. not, not wrong. And actually, good observations. And knowing this person, I would have no doubt that he would be very well educated as to what post-rock oh, yeah. is, really well. So that's that. Um, I didn't get through as many as we would like. Um, should we do this again? Um, uh, not next week. Next week I've got Robin. Thank you. Hey, Robin. <laughs> Robin Frederick will be here next week. Um, we will do one of these again. And you know what? I will have Bria hang on to these things that were pulled for this show and we will incorporate those first on the list next time. Will you come back and do it again? Uh, yeah. I, I thought this was kind yeah. of fun um, and fruitful, hopefully. So that's it. Without any further ado, 
from the raspberry and orange section of the produce department <laughs> of taxi. We will bid you guys a fond farewell and we will see you back here soon. Um, that is that. See you next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yeah. Woo.